0: It's good to be back home. We had a tremendous time away. I appreciate my good friend, uh, Chris Owens, speaking for me while I was away. I understand that Chris did a fantastic job, as he and Bill always do. And so it gives me an opportunity to to be away. And that was good. We had a tremendous week. The whole week long, the weather was perfect. I mean, it was hot, but it was perfect. And the rain didn't chase us off of the beach or away from the pools. Uh, So it was a great, great time up until yesterday. Uh, when we had to put the little babies on an airplane to Illinois. And that was, that was the dread of, uh, of vacation, is once we uh, packed them up, I was unable because the vehicle going to the airport was packed out, and I didn't feel I could breathe long enough in the trunk. And so uh, before we left, where we were staying, it did give me an opportunity uh, to kiss each of the little girls, Caitlin and Landry, at least 100 times each. Uh, before they left, but we'll see them again soon. Thank you for praying for them and their transition. Uh, I do know that it's going well. We got some video uh, last night and uh, Kenley, the, the two, almost three-year-old, uh, since she's moved up to Illinois, she's been there just, you know, not even 24 hours yet. She did find the little kitty and uh, she did take the little kitty and help the kitty onto her trampoline and then proceeded to give the little kitty a joy ride. Uh, there's a lot of people I'm sure that is glad that Kenley has arrived in Illinois, but not the little kitty. So thank you for your prayers. I want to jump right into uh, today's talk. Had an opportunity to spend hours on this actually before we ever left. Feel this very, very passionately, and I just want to communicate it. If God will help me, and I believe that He will. Uh, in just a clear and concise way, because I really want you to capture this. Because if you will capture this, it will revolutionize your life in so many different ways. And so we're going to go right back to James. We're now coming into sort of the tail end of this series, and we'll be launching something new very soon. But I want to begin, and I'm going to actually read from a couple of different passages. I'm going to read from the ending part of James 4 and the beginning part of James chapter 5. So let's look at it on the screen. This is James 4, beginning at verse 13. Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins, all right? So that's the end of chapter 4. Let's pick up at verse 1 of chapter 5. Now listen, you, what does it say? Rich, rich people. And some of you feel like, well, that's not me, so I'm, I'm all right. Well, hang in here with me. Now listen, you rich people, weep and well because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has what? And moss have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. These, these are probably not your life verses. These are probably not the verses you just say, I want to claim this as my own. <laughs> you have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty You have lived on earth in luxury and self indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. Now, each time that we take this summer trip that we've been doing since before Audrey was born, and she's now a sophomore at Southeastern, 19 years of age, we've been doing this family trip years before she was ever born, when the boys were very small. And I've never failed to be amazed at the incredible amount of wealth that is in this portion of our state, the wealth that is in people's hands, homes that are absolutely breathtaking in their size and in their cost. In fact, uh, near where we were staying, not where we were staying, but near where we were staying, it was advertising uh, uh, housing development. And this is where the house has started. The house has started at $500,000 that's sort of the base. I mean, you know, just a mere $500,000, $500, half a million dollar home. And they went up to $3 million. And I think I saw several of those $3 million homes. Some of you perhaps lived there, and I didn't even realize I was seeing your house. But these tremendous homes are like, oh, my goodness, the square footage and, the, you know, the, the beauty of them. Staggering price tags on boats that are used only on rare occasions. In fact, one day we were coming back from the downtown area of St. Augustine. How many of you have ever driven across the Bridge of Lions? I'm, I know that many of you, the Bridge of Lions, you know where that is, and it's a drawbridge. And, and there was a drawbridge that had opened up and, you know, being the very, very, very patient, patient, patient guy that I am. I uh, was so pleased that that happened for a canoe to go underneath. No, not really. It was a very, very uh, a big ship, and I'm, I, I see this, you know, under one side, out the other. And, and then our, our vision, there were several of us in the car. Our vision went uh, to a boat that was sort of docked up, and it really did not look that massive until a guy walked out on the front of this boat, and I'm like, that is unbelievable. Unbelievable tremendous amounts of wealth, tremendous amounts of affluence. And what I want to do this morning is I want to get your brain firing on a couple of different fronts before we wade out into today's talk. So I'm going to give a scenario, give you a couple of things to think about, and then we're going to dive right in. So let's get started. Let's say, first of all, you know, from this first aspect, that you have a remarkably wealthy friend. Your friend just has a tremendous amount of wealth, Or maybe it's a family member. And and for many of you, that's not a stretch because you have a friend like that or a family member like that. And let's say, for example, to their credit, They have a big-time question that they have for you. They want to ask you this question because they respect you. They admire you. They know that you're an authentic follower of Jesus. So they've got this major question that has been bouncing around in their brain that they've just been looking for a serious-minded Christ follower to ask. And so they pose their question to you, this incredibly wealthy friend or family member, and here is their question. Their question is, what does God think about my money? what does God think about this pile of money that I have? And then you make a decision. The plan is to actually come back and meet one week later to hear from you over dinner. You know, they just say, hey, think about it. Come back to me because this really matters a whole lot to me. I'd like to know, what does God think about all this money that I have? And you agree that a week later, it gives you some time to research and such. And, and you agree to do that because you really want to help your friend. And, and, and another reason, you know, a sideline reason, it's actually hard for you to say no to a free dinner. And so, you know, when they mention Taco Bell, you're like, count me in. I'm ready. Let's go. So you have seven days between then, you know, and when you're going to meet for dinner. You do a meticulous search of the Scriptures you make some very discernible notes, and now you're ready. So that's a thought. And I want your brain, brain to be firing in that direction. But then I want to toss in another thought on the front side of this message. And it's, you know, becomes a little more personal for us. Although our uh, net worth, let's just make an assumption here, our net worth may fall steeply below that of our friend. We still have to consider, we don't have the wealth and everything that our friend or family member has, not steeply below, you know, our economic line, but we still have to concede that in comparison with the whole world, we have to admit that we are ourselves excessively rich. And and I'll give you some stats to help you to be able to be more convinced uh, of that theory. For example, and these are are accurate stats, uh, stats. for example, if you make $10,000 a year in the course of 12 months, if you make $10,000 a year, you are wealthier than 84% of the world. You heard me right. If you make $10,000, you are wealthier than 84% of the world. If you happen to make $50,000 a year, you are wealthier, listen now. Then 99% of the world, you're, if you make 50000 or above, you're in the top 1% of income earners in the world. So I guess I'd have to say, welcome to the wealthy club, I mean, if, if that's you. And that would encompass most all of you. So what I would ask you to consider, those detailed notes that you have constructed, you put together for your friend that you're going to present over that dinner, you're probably going to want to hang on to those. Because you may actually need to review them for yourselves. So let's say the night of the dinner rolls around. You have, um, you know, accurately prepared. You sit down, and they're like all ears. Here we are. And again, you got to commend them, you know, because they want to know. And a lot of people don't want to know what God thinks about their money. And so they're like all ears, you know, lay it on us. We're eager to hear what the Bible says and what God may think about our money. And I think, and you know, most of you haven't done the research, you had a week to do, one of the things I suspect that most all of you would do on the front end of that is you would communicate to them right in the beginning before the salad plate ever hits the table that God is not upset or frustrated with them because they have lots of money. I hope you would tell them that. I hope you would let them know, hey, God's not mad at you. God's not upset with you because you have a lot of money. God is not opposed to you. You would probably start out with some affirming words concerning their desire to get God's inclination about their financial status. I'm certain that you would applaud their humility and openness to receive some teaching and truth concerning the wealth that they have accumulated, especially when most people, most people are defensive and not amused by anybody's opinion about their money, most of all God's. And because you have done a comprehensive search of the Bible, you would want them to know, hey, you know, I... I you don't want to affirm that you are open, and the Bible is not opposed. God is not opposed to you having lots of money. And because I've done a comprehensive search, you might would say, of the Bible, you would want them to know that the Christian faith is not anti-earning. It is not anti-ownership. It is not anti-commerce. But that the Bible actually does this. It approves of hard work and prudency and creativity and wisdom and diligence. And you would tell them that. you, you tell them God is not mad at you because you've accumulated a lot of money. Most likely, you would let them know that there were numerous wealthy people that were mentioned not only in the Bible, but were also key players in the story of the Bible. People like Abraham, who had an enormous amount of wealth, and and David and Job, who had it, lost it, regained it again. What about King Solomon? Just to name a few. Because you have done this diligent search of the Bible, you would also want them to know that some of Jesus' own followers were quite wealthy and helped to support the ministry that he was engaged in. So before the main course ever hit the table, you would, I'm sure you'd do this, you would confirm for them an inward hope that they have that a pile of money would not disqualify anybody, including them, from God's love. It would not separate them from the reality of Jesus' finished work on the cross for, on their behalf or that it would cause them to be ineligible for eternal life. Again, you would, you would be, again, in a very, very positive way. I'm sure you'd do this because you have searched the Bible. And what does the Bible say concerning these things? But lest they become too relaxed, you'd have to flip the coin over to the other side. And you would have to tell them if you were going to do due diligence in this regard, and they're really asking, and you really want to communicate biblical truth to them, you would also want them to understand that God does warn. That God does warn that wealth can create some heavy, heavy damage to a person's life if they're not careful. And I'll give you some ideas of this, some of the things the Bible says concerning that. For example, the Bible says that um, the damage can come if we allow money to create within us a sense of a false sense of security. Uh, this is not on the screen, but I want to uh, read a couple of verses to you. This is out of the Psalms, Psalm 49, verses 16 and 17. It says, do not be overawed, overawed when a man grows rich. And again, I'm coming off of this trip and I just stood looking at some of these homes. And and, and to be honest, probably in, in violation of this, just sort of in awe of how much money does it take to build a home like that. But Psalm said, the wisdom writer says, do not be overawed when a man grows rich, when the splendor of his house increases, for he will take nothing with him when he dies. His splendor will not descend with him. You see, here's the thing about money, because money has the ability to buy so many tangible products and goods, we often think, or a person will think, that it provides total security for all things as it relates to the future. And you're going to see this in a couple of verses later, but this is what the Bible says wealth often does. Wealth, if we're not careful, and again, God's not opposed to it, and I want you to be clear on that. But it does warn that wealth, not kept in proper perspective, can produce arrogance, and it can elevate this sense of self-sufficiency. Uh, I've got this. I've worked hard. I've made a lot of money. I've got this. This is my nest egg. I can live on this uh, until I die. In fact, I could live on it way after the point when I will probably die. And again, God would say, hey, I'm not mad at you, I'm not frustrated with you, and you'd communicate that to your friend because you have a lot of money. Just be careful that you do not allow it to do damage to your life, that it does not create havoc for your soul. Here's another thing that the Bible would warn, not just that money can create a false sense of security, but here's another thing that it can cause people to overlook the needs of others. That we can just become trapped in, you know, our own little world and forget what most of the world is, is really like. In, in fact, these two verses are on the screen. The guys are going to put them up for you. This is out of Deuteronomy 24. This is what it says. Do not take advantage of a hired man who is poor and needy, whether he, this is interesting to me, whether he is a brother Israelite or an alien living in one of your towns. So whether it's one of sort of like your own... Uh, you know, family, nationalistic family or not. Don't take advantage of them. Uh, verse 15, pay him his wages each day before sunset. Now, how many of you know, uh, in the time that this was written, uh, direct deposits had not quite come around yet. Nobody Nobody's issuing a check at the end of the work week. So the economic reality of that time was a guy would work, a lady would work that day, and... You'd give her their give him give her their wages at the conclusion of that day, and it says pay him his wages each day before sunset because he is poor and counting on it, otherwise he may cry to the Lord against you, and you will be guilty of sin so you know you'd sit down uh, again by now you're well into the main course and you know, the conversation is going well. You're them, hey, you know, don't, don't be confused. Don't allow people to tell you otherwise. God's not mad at you. God's not frustrated with you because you have a lot of money. In fact, using it well, that can be a very, very good thing. But having said that, I've got to tell you, you're going to have to be careful because all that money that you've got can create a sense of false security. It can cause you to overlook the needs of other people. And thirdly, it can create a path towards self-indulgence. This is going to be shocking for some of you. Some of you, others of you, you know this. You've heard it at some point in the past. But for others of you, you almost in your mind, as soon as I say this, you're going to want to challenge me and say, really? Are you, really? You're just making, Did you put it in the talk to just make it interesting or is it really true? And I'll tell you, it's really true. Here it is. Did you know that Jesus spoke more about money and possessions than he did about heaven and hell? Jesus did. He said much more about money and possessions than he ever did about heaven or hell. Why? Because it, became, it can become such a dangerous trap for people. And we hear it all the time. If I only had more money, I would. You know, I've, I've seen that so many times. I've, I've, I've been around now a, a, a few years. You can, you can tell, you know, I'm, I'm not like my friend Jack, 93. I'm just 33 thank you. I I heard an amen. Thank you. That's a a man of God back there. I've been around long enough to hear people say, you know what? If I only had more money, I would do this, this, and this. And then they get a little more money. And they don't do this, this, and this. They do I, me, and mine. If only I had more money, and yet once they get it, it creates a path towards self-indulgence. Timothy Keller writes this, nothing makes us more miserable than self-absorption, the endless unsmiling concentration on our needs, our wants, our treatment, our ego, our record. So again, we're having this conversation well into the meal now. You know, God's not mad at you, God's not angry at you, but you better be careful. False sense of security, you could just become so entrapped with all that you have, all your stuff, all your possessions, all your goodies that you forget that there's a lot of people that is in need. It can create a path where you become self-indulgent. And again, being a good friend, you would want to do this. Fourthly, you would want to let them know that it can cause people, wealth can cause people to place a greater priority on what they have, on their money, rather than their own soul. And the Bible warns about this in forbidding kind of ways. That we should not forfeit our soul by trying to gain the whole world. You remember that? That a lot of people, and it's proven to be true. That in their quest to gain the whole world, in the process of gaining the whole world, have lost their own soul. Again, I've been around long enough to know and see people even in, in in like patterns of church attendance where people who, when they didn't have a lot and they, you know, they didn't really have money to, to take these exotic trips and go to these wonderful places and be here, there, you know, here this week, there, you know, two weeks later and gone all over. It, it was like they were, they were just so incredibly faithful. And, and then they just started the acquisition of more stuff. And it's like, you know, because... More blessing it seemed came into their life, contrary to what ought to be true. Instead of becoming more faithful, gradually they become less and less faithful, and I've seen this again and again and again. And we've got to be careful of this again. Again, if you know, if you make ten thousand or more, you're in the top, you know, eighty-four percent you make more than 84% of the world. You make 50,000 total household income, you make more than 50,000, you're in the top 1% of income earners in the whole on the whole planet. And so that's why I say if we were having a conversation 7 days to prepare have this conversation with a very very affluent friend over the course of dinner, we would probably want to hang on to those notes for our own we would communicate, hey, God's not mad at you, God's not upset, but there's some damage that will be done in your life if you don't handle what you have accurately, you know, in in a way that would honor God. And and then here's another thing that you would wanna communicate before you're done. And I'm, I'm gonna deal with this, and then I'm gonna give you a personal challenge here at the end. Here's another matter that you would want them to know, and that is that God simply wants wealthy people to know that they should be generous and willing to share with what God has blessed them with. You see, money can and should do good things in this needy world of ours. The hungry can be fed. You ever think about that? To me, it just blows my mind. When we have so much food, so much food, and in parts of the world, other people are so hungry. To know that there's parts of the world where the sick could actually be cared for, I mean, we drive by, I mean, just look around. Uh, Doctors' offices and walk-in clinics and medical quality, quality medical care. I mean, just on every turn. And, and yet in many, many parts of the world, the, the thought of something like that, and, you know, it's, it's why it inspires me every time when I see our, our church family uh, going on the missions trip and there's a construction team helping to build like a Latin American child care school or, or adding on to some a much needed project. And then we're taking medical teams. And for some of these people, they've, they've never had the medical care that they get as our teams, our medical teams go in. But good things can be done. The uneducated can be educated. Like this little guy I was telling you about, some of you have heard me mention him before, a little guy that we, we've adopted. His name, his name is Jeffrey. Can you believe it? I've heard that name before. In fact, his name is spelled right. He's Jeffrey. I still remain to this day, Jeffrey. And his name is Jeffrey. And you know what Jeffrey, little guy, what he, what he wants to be when he grows up? He wants to be a pastor. So why would I not want to support a little guy named Jeffrey who wants to be a pastor? But the uneducated can be educated. The lost can be reached. And God is searching for people, and you've got to hear this, friends. All of you have got to hear this. God is searching for people that he can trust to be competent with their resources and compassionate with their resources. Think about it this way. Just, I mean, in all practicality, why in the world would God want to bless us with more when he knew that we would only consume it for ourselves? Why? When we would only become more self-indulgent. Listen to the words of Proverbs 22, 9. They're not on the screen, but this is what it says He who has a generous eye will be blessed. He who has a generous eye will be blessed. So, what if we made an adjustment? This is not easy, it's all cross cultural it's so against the grain of what is surrounding us at all times but what if we made an adjustment in our mentality regarding increasing finances and our activity now revolved around these thoughts God has given me excess more than I need God has given me excess not so that I can have more but so that I can give more but what I'm about to mention happens way too often instead Studies indicate this again and again and again. Again, this is factual. A lot of research has gone into this. Studies indicate that the richer people get, the smaller that they give away. You'd think it would be the uh, reverse of that. But the richer that people get, the smaller they give away. The higher you go, the lower the percentage. And this problem is further compounded by this reality. Everybody, everybody, everybody thinks that they're generous even when they are not. There's a story, and you probably have heard some version of it. I, I came across this one not too long ago. It's a story about a guy who had been a faithful tither whose earnings went from 50000 a year to 250000 a year, and then several years later to he was making $500,000 annually. One night, this guy, he's making a half a million dollars a year, confessed to his small group leader that it was getting awfully tough to continue to tithe because now his tithe was, in his words, costing him 50000 a year. That's what he said. It stopped. It's Didn't used to be, you know, when I made 50000 a year, it wasn't. But now that I'm making it, it's costing me to tithe 50000 a year. The small group, very, very wise small group leader said, well, I'll tell you what we're going to do. Let's gather the group around, and we're all going to pray diligently that God will reduce your income back down to the level where you can afford to tithe again. <laughs> Let's pray that way. Let's trust God for that. Look at these verses. It's out of First Timothy 1 Timothy six seventeen and 18. Teach those, and this is what you'd be uh, attempting to do. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in who? In God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do what? To do good. They should be rich in good words and generous to those in need always being ready to share with others. And these are the two verses that I was talking about earlier that the Bible points out, two verses I referred to, and the message is compelling. Do not trust in your money. Do not become self-indulgent. Do not allow it to create arrogance in your life. Instead, do good stuff. Do good stuff. And that's what you would communicate to your friend. I mean, being the thoughtful person, the caring person that you were, hey, God is not mad about that pile of money you've got. God's not frustrated with you. In fact, God is pleased that you would want to know his opinion on what you would, you know, what he views your money as being like. You'd give him the warnings that we just went over a few moments ago, but you would tell them. You would tell them as a good friend, but do some good with what God has given you do some God honoring things with the resources grow in your generosity don't become arrogant don't become self-indulgent look for ways consider that the reason why God has blessed you is not so that you can sit on this pile of money that you have but so that you can do more so I want to leave you before we're done with a challenge to do good, and I've got to give you three things. I want you to be sure you get them. Write them down. If you can't remember them, put them on your iPad, put them on your tablet, whatever you need to do. I want to give you three challenges before we're done. Challenge number one, give 10% of your earnings back to God. Just do it. Give 10% of your earnings back to God. Tithing is actually the primary way that we acknowledge that God is really first in our lives. It's not, you know, just what we say. What's that old expression? Put, put your money where your mouth is. I mean, if God is really first place in our life, if God is really a uh, priority in our life, th- then that's going to show up on our banking statement. That's going to show up on our ledger. That God is really the priority. If we say, "Well, you know, God is first in my life. I love God. He's number one in my life above all else. And and we're not giving 10% of the income that God, by the way, gave to us in the first place. Well, then, you know, we can say it all day long, but it's just not accurate. It's so important. So please listen. God expects for those who claim to be his to return 10% of all earnings back to him so that his church can be fully resources. That's just the clear teaching of the Bible. And you'd want your friend to know that. You'd want to know that. Look at a statement that Andy, Andy Stanley has made. You're going to see the statement up on the, green, on, on the screen. He writes, the best way to make giving a priority is to make it the very first check you write every month before the mortgage, before groceries or clothing, before saving. Whenever God blesses you with income, let your first action be a gesture that acknowledges where it came from. Whatever the amount, do it first. The minute you deposit your paycheck, this not only ensures that you'll guard it as a priority, but it's a symbolic way of reminding you where your hope lies. Your hope is in God. So challenge number one, give 10% of your earnings back to God. Challenge number two, here we go. Live beneath your income line so that you have opportunities to do good. Live beneath your income line. How many of you know Got to shield my eyes so I can see all you guys. You still with me? Wave at me if you are. Anybody doze near you, go ahead and smack them right now in Jesus' name. Tell them they missed a good talk this morning Will you do so. you with me? All right. So in, in, in this regard, live beneath your income line so that you have opportunities to do good. How many of you would be in somewhat agreement with me that most people do not do this? Most people do not do this. Maybe you're like, you don't want it to be too personal for you, so you're like, most people don't, but maybe you look back and you see some trends of this in your own life. It's not the path that most people choose. Usually it works like this, increased income equals an upturn in personal spending, So my income goes up, and so what do I feel compelled to do? My income line, which, by the way, and I'll just toss this out. This is not even a part of my nose. Have you ever found this to be true? Has this ever been a little bit of a quandary for you? Generally speaking, not always so, but generally speaking, your best income-earning years are, generally speaking, later in life, and in actuality, and sometimes you don't even need them as much. Do you ever felt this way, that you actually needed what you're making now later in life when you were actually younger in life, when you had, had these kids running around that were costing you a lot of money? And then what happens is, you know, we, we just grow, and God bless us, and our income line goes up. What does most people do? Do they keep their spending right here? Okay, it went up. you we keep my spending here? No, most people will meet their income line with their spending line. So now I've got more money, I've got a bigger check, I've got a bigger salary, my income has gone up. So what does that mean? That's always got to mean a bigger house, it's got to be more expensive clothes, a nicer cars. But here's a novel idea, just for your consideration if you're up for the challenge. We do not have to spend everything we make. We do not. Nobody, nobody is forcing you to spend every. Thing you make what if you decided right here right now on this Sunday in July 2016 that what you were going to do that you were going to keep your spending line more in check so that you were not spending every dollar so that you would be in a position to do good with what God has blessed you with here's a third and final challenge direct your time your talent and your money toward a life-changing, eternal cause. I, I, I encourage you to do this. It, and, I, you know, I almost don't want to because I'm just telling you, uh, I, I don't want to encourage you to be depressed, but you probably will be. Just look in your online banking sometimes. And just go through the list. Just pick a date. Maybe go over the past 30 days and just sort of look at that and, and look at it and say, okay, what is temporal? What is eternal? What is temporal? What is eternal? What is temporal? What is eternal? How, how many of you know that could be a little bit discouraging? Because you would find as most all of us do, and we spend a lot of what we have on temporal things that have no lasting eternal call. James 5 says, now listen, well, because your wealth has rotted and your moths have have eaten your clothes, your gold and silver are corroded. Just we, because, you know, it was all about you. It was all about consuming. It was all about here and now. And so now look at your wealth. Look at your clothes. Look at your gold. Look at your silver. It's all corroded. See, not. Now cry. You know, early in this talk, there were those who were crying. It was the unpaid worker who came to the end of the day and expected to be paid. And yet, there was not, and they would well. And God said, you better be careful on that because if I hear them crying out, that's not going to be so good for you. Or the hired workers who had worked hard in the field, overworked, underpaid. And they're crying. And, and now the Scriptures are saying, you're wailing, you're crying. Because you thought this, you know, that you spent, that was so temporary would last, but it does not have eternal significance. Check out a stark contrast to this. This is actually, it's the last verse we're going to look at. This is what Jesus said. This is what Jesus said. Matthew 6:20. he said, read it with me, everybody. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Listen to this statement. This is a cool name, by the way, Rusty Rustenbach. If you're going to have kids in the future, you may want to hold on. Rusty Rustenbach, cool name. But listen to what he said. He said, you and I, this is very important, listen to every word. You and I live in an age where only a rare minority of individuals desire to spend their lives in pursuit of objectives which are are bigger than they are. Let me go back and read that again. Listen to that very carefully. Two sentences. You and I live in an age where only a rare minority of individuals desire to spend their lives in pursuit of objectives which are bigger than they are, things that are eternal, things that last, things that have permanency in light of heaven. Second sentence, sort of an indictment. He said, in our age, for most people, when they die, it will be as though they never lived. Most people in our age, what they've done, in, turn, in terms of eternal reality, once they're gone, it's going to be as though they never live. You'd wrap up that dinner. You'd shake your friend's hand, maybe hug their neck, and just say, I hope this sits well with you because this is what the Bible says about that pile of money that you have. God's not mad at you. God's not opposed to your earning potential. God's not upset with you. But you got to be careful. You got to be really careful, or it will become all about you. And you'll overlook the needs of others. And you'll have this false sense of security. And you'll go for more and more. And if you're not careful in your pursuit of more and more, your quest to gain the whole world, you might lose your soul. Instead, You told them, do good with what God has blessed you with. Whether they acknowledge it initially or not, you'd say, do good with that. It's not all about you. Do good with it. Bless. Be generous. God has given it to you for a reason. Can we stand together this morning? God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. We receive this challenge from you. God, we want to be what you want us to be. I pray, Father, that you would help us all to take what we have heard because it's easy its easy for me to think about the people that i have just come off a week's vacation of seeing the houses, pulling into a parking lot and seeing the cars that were in this parking lot and seeing so much wealth. And then I, I realized that I, too, am a rich man. And I've spoken to people today that are themselves excessively wealthy in light of the whole world. And help us to do good. Help everything that we earn to consider it a blessing. Always give you the top ten. Help us, God, to keep our, our spending line below our income line so that we can do good with what you've given us. And help us to devote our energy and our time and our money not just toward temporal things that will not last, but to lay up treasure in heaven. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Now don't go. There's a song we're going to sing, and then we're going to be dismissed. I'll come right back up, so don't leave. Don't leave. Let's just sing the song of worship together, and then we'll come back, and we'll close out.
1: Receiving Christ the Son, Jesus our Savior. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe. our defender, our judge and our defender, suffered and crucified, forgiveness is in you, he descended, descended. the Holy Spirit. Anybody believe in that name this morning? In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I believe in life eternal. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the saints' communion. And in your holy church. I believe in the resurrection. When Jesus will come again.
0: You know, I think we've got one of the greatest church families in all the world, and I'm so proud of what God is doing in your life. Thank you for being so attentive this morning. We're rapidly coming to the end of this study in James, which is to me an unbelievable book of wisdom and direction and counsel. I really want to encourage you to be here. What we're going to look at next week is going to be so important. I want you to be here for that. If you're a guest here today, I want to say thank you for coming out and being with us. I hope you'll come back and be with us. In fact, if you're a guest here this morning... And uh, here's what I'd like for you to do. You received a bulletin when you came in. And here's what I'd like for you to do. And the far right side of that is a little guest information card. Please fill that out. And then just check. This is your first, second, third time. Tear it off. And there's a white tent, a guest central tent right out front. And if you'll take that out, some of our leaders are out there and they want to meet you. And really what they want to do is they want to collect the card and give you a nice little gift. Just a thank you for coming out today. And again, I hope you'll come and be with us again. Listen, I love you all. Have an awesome week. See you right back here next Sunday morning.